All right, we are accepting calls this hour from time travelers only. If you have traveled in time or you are presently a traveler to this time, then we want to hear from you. Otherwise, the phone lines are closed, but for that group, they are certainly open. Uh, with that in mind, uh, top of the morning to you on the wild card line. You are on the air. Hello. Hello. doing uh this is the infinite fringe live right here on truth frequency radio on iHeartRadio, radio on hackerhameen.podbeam.com and the infinite fringe.podbeam.com and if you want to see the video of this conversation just uh, shoot on over to iconic my people over there and you can see the video of the conversation that i am about to have with the dude recluse is here once again on the infinite fringe no longer his maiden voyage he's been here before he's been on america unplugged before We've spoken on panels with, uh, you know, with John Brissom and other people about the election, and I'm going to ask him about that. But right now, we're going to talk about his book, A Special Relationship. I'm going to let him fill in the entire title of it, but it's going to be an interesting uh, episode. I haven't aired anything on the fringe about the election since it's happened or even before that. I just went uh, heavy on uh, Halloween stuff, and I hope you enjoyed that stuff. I I had a blast with it. You know, but um, this stuff is so divisive and it really, really alienated me from even wanting to talk about it for a long time. But it is what it is. We have to face it head on. So we're going to do that. And we're going to talk about uh, Recluse's book, A Special Relationship. It's about Epstein. It's about Trump. It's, it's going to be interesting as hell to listen. What is going on, sir? How are you? Welcome back to the Infinite Fringe. What's up? I'm doing well, man. Uh, Definitely interesting times and so forth, but uh, it's always good to be back on your show, man. Always good to chat with you. Man, I am am, uh, honored to have you on. I'm honored to have access to you as I do to to one of the most brilliant minds in the alternative media. I could just reach out (laughs) and say, hey, what do you think about this? You know, and we we may disagree, but uh, it's still a valued information. Now, before... We oh, get and the world will be a pretty dirty place. I mean, if they all agreed on everything, uh, <laughs> I think that's something we really forget in this day and age. Different opinions are what makes it so wonderful to be alive. In a lot of times, right, right, right. But sometimes, sometimes different opinions can cause you know some 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 unrest, and uh, I think that's what's going on here right now, man. Um, not between you and I, of course. You you and I would sit down and have well, a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and chill, but uh, for the rest well, of them, I'm an I've learned from Briss and I'm an INTP and you're an INTJ, so uh, we can have enlightened, intelligent debate and to still disagree and not take it personally. But we are a rarity because of our personality types. Wow. Wow. <laughs> oh, man, he won't stop. Leave that alone, Johnny. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Yeah, let's I know. Get He's into even it. got me doing this crap. For now. real, right? <laughs> now you're talking. He, he brings that up every chance he gets. You know, you're an INTJ. I am an INTP. I'm like, whatever. I, I, I don't know. It's too many too many letters for me to remember anyhow 
<laughs> let's let's talk about the election real quick before we dive into the book, man. What are your thoughts about sure. all of this, man? I, I think I think it's showing uh, the the high level uh, mind control operation that's going on here, and and I mean it's not showing it to everyone, which is I, I don't even have the right words to describe what's going on. I'm trying to look for yeah. them, I try to find them, but I can't. I, I I never believed so many people would vote for Donald Trump. For one, not to say, and again, got to go back and say, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not a Joe Biden guy. I didn't vote, period, right? I didn't vote for either or. I couldn't bring myself to do it personally, you know. So, uh, but um, 71 million, as of this recording, have voted for Donald Trump, and uh, 73 percent of those 71 million feel that Donald Trump has been cheated out of this election with relatively no proof. There's, there's, there's not a lot of proof here for anything. There's, there's circumstantial evidence. There's anecdotal stuff around. And there's, you, listen, let's go back. Dead people vote in every election. Every election, there's dead people that vote. You know, so uh, there wasn't an uproar for 2016, which I don't understand. Um, and, and I think we're in a, in, a, in a weird situation with Donald Trump not conceding. He will not do it. Some people say the election hasn't been called yet. I don't know. I think it has. But anyhow, recluse, man, what are you, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking about this whole deal? Well, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that it's turned into this quagmire. I mean, it's 2020 after all. I mean, this is about as 2020 as you can get. So, uh, yeah, we were kind of in line for something like this. I mean, at this point, I say probably about an 80 percent chance that Biden does ultimately prevail. It is 2020, though. So. We really can't say for sure if something just absolutely insane is not going to unfold over the next couple of months. I mean, I know you were talking about the lawsuits uh, likely being thrown out, right. which I agree with. A lot of the stuff is probably frivolous at this point. But again, you know, we don't know what exactly might be leaked in some point in the next couple of weeks. And it's still interesting to keep an eye on the military. Um, obviously, they kind of came to them and asked them if they were going to intervene prior to the election. The military shot it down. But uh Again, these are very incredible times. We really don't know what they are going to ultimately decide in that regard. So, but let's just go with the scenario that Biden does end up prevailing. I think the big reason why we're seeing all of this stuff right now is more than anything to delegitimize Biden's presidency. Mm. And it's going to be even worse, I think, than what you saw with Trump in 2016. I mean, you've already got like, you know, what, about 55 million people or something, if your stats are right, that are convinced already that the election was stolen for Trump. Yeah. I mean, that you know number is probably only going to rise as more evidence comes out of voter fraud. Uh, that's a lot of freaking people. I mean, you're talking about, what, a sixth of the entire country or something like that. Um, and then on top of that, I mean, you've got all of the stuff with Hunter Biden that started to come out prior to the election. And I mean, in all honesty, I think there's a lot more meat on the bone to those allegations than the uh, Russiagate things surrounding Trump. So, I mean, that's going to be another factor at play. Um, Trump TV is probably coming very, very Absolutely. soon. We're already seeing the groundwork for that laid. Right. Trump is going to be totally unshackled. He is going to be going after Biden every day on that thing. I mean, for the slightest infringements. Um, of course, you know, Chris Knowles of the Secret Sun has already pointed this out. But, um, you know, over this past year, we saw many of our uh, largest cities brought to a standstill by a bunch of um, millennials of debatable fortitude when push comes to shove. So, okay. um, 
It's going to be an interesting question of what will happen if a bunch of uh, police officers and military veterans decide to do the same thing during the Biden administration. Certainly, they're a lot more capable than many of the Antifa people to uh, cause a lot of major chaos if they so decide to do so. And then finally, there's the Democratic Party itself. Uh, you know, we have what the leak caucus call that came out shortly after Biden was declared the victor, which showed that there's a major divide brewing between the centrist right. wing, a.k.a. the Rockefeller Republican wing of the party <laughs> yeah. and uh, the progressive wing. I mean, AOC came out a couple of days ago and threatened to quit politics. I mean, I think that division is going to just it's going to become a gaping uh chasm i think as we go forward here i mean i think really the only thing that's kept the democratic party together in a lot of ways for the last four years is donald j trump i mean you already were seeing a lot of this division coming in 2016 between the bernie supporters and the hillary supporters it's still there and the rift is already you know on display just as they got the presidency back so i mean what's going to happen in six months or a year when i mean a lot of the promises to the progressive wing are you know not fulfilled if not pushed aside totally it's not going to be pretty you're going to have a divided democratic party you're going to have an enraged uh, band of trump backers doing everything they can to sabotage the presidency and that's assuming that biden actually makes it the whole four years i mean there's obviously been the ongoing allegations that uh, harris would end up as the president that's only going to cause even more issues so yeah i think if people thought that Trump's presidency was chaotic, I would uh, say you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> man. Very well said. Very well said. They're, they're laying, you're not, you know, and I didn't even look at it that way until you brought it up. It's a, they're delegitimizing Biden from the get, you know, like from, yeah. from right now, they're not wasting any time. And uh, a lot of people will never admit uh, that, uh, or, or never come to terms with or whatever you, however you want to say it that Joe Biden won the election. Therefore, there's already people saying, I will never call him my president because he's not, because he cheated, you know? And um, man, we we are in for a hell of a ride, like you say. I I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. I I know that Donald Trump's character is, uh, leaves a lot to be desired. He's a capricious 10-year-old boy in a 74-year-old's body. And and I think that might have something to play, something to something to what's going on here that he would he, he refuses to accept defeat throughout his life he's refused to accept defeat whenever he's been beaten he doesn't like it. his wife his ex-wife came out and said that he is a very bad loser he doesn't like to lose this might be a part of it do you think some of the um his character traits are are driving all of this or do you think there's something deeper to it yeah, I definitely think his character traits are driving this. And I mean, in a certain sense, too, if he does ultimately concede, um, he's also, I think, in part laying the foundation for another run in 2024 as right. well. So, you know, again, when you look, I mean, which, again, a lot of people might think would be incredible that Trump could come back and be reelected. But if Biden's administration is every bit as disastrous as the uh, CMP plans on making it being, uh, that is a real possibility. Yeah, that that is a real possibility. Um, and, and I mean, uh, they're it, just, you know, right. one of the most disturbing things, I think, specifically for the Democrats, you know, coming out of this election is the fact that um, what I mean, so far, the evidence indicates Trump actually got more votes from you know, minorities, I think, than any Republican president since 1960. <laughs> I mean, just think about that. That is just incredible. Yeah, the, the, I the, mean, the PSYOP is hard, man, in particular with uh, the Cubans in Florida. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they they threw out the, the socialism, communism thing, and that is all. Most of Americans don't know what socialism and communism even really is. They just mm-hmm. know it on the surface. The Cubans don't want to have anything to do with it because of where they come from. Um, and not to say that it was just Cubans that voted, but uh, in Florida, uh, the Cubans no, Trump are... Trump actually... I mean, he almost doubled his voting totals right. across the board. I mean, right. double the amount of African-American men and women right. both. I mean, that's I mean, that's just incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I severely underestimated the base of a Donald Trump. Severely. Like, I just did not think it was that big. I didn't think all these people would come out and vote. I just didn't think so. And I was so wrong. You know, yeah. and when in watching the election go down and seeing those numbers, I'm like, good Lord. It was a very effective campaign, but uh, I think it was a cult of personality thing that, that, that there's a lot of things to unpack here. But regardless of that, um, closing thoughts on the election, what it, you know, if, if you want people to know anything about uh, your mind and the election right now, what do you think that is? Well, I mean, I've said most of everything, but I mean, I also think on top of everything else, I mean, I, I it ultimately, this is really, I think, a pirate victory for the Democratic Party and the globalist slash Rockefeller Republican faction behind them. Because, I mean, it's so just thoroughly delegitimized the legacy media on the one hand. I mean, once again, they were calling Biden to win this, you know, by a 10, 11 percent margin or something like that. I mean, yes, there was epic voter fraud when all was said and done. Biden probably did legitimately win the popular vote. But it was probably by an extremely, extremely narrow margin. I mean, probably one percent or less, in my humble opinion. So you have all of that at play. You know, and on top of everything else, it may have ultimately delegitimized elections in the United States for once and for all. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we've already been adding in this direction for a while now. But I mean, I just think because of what Trump TV is probably going to do with this voter fraud will just now be so obvious to people. It's no longer going to be something that you can ignore. It's going to bring into question almost anything that happens from here on out, you know, much as essentially what we've seen with the questioning reality itself over the last couple of years. You know, I mean, it's a whole new world, man, and not for the better in a lot of ways. Agreed 100%. We have a lot of things to look out for in the next four years. Trump TV is a reality. And, and to be honest, you can make an argument that Trump TV was the, the end game of the Trump presidency. It was, yeah. it, it was the beginning and it was the end. It was a cycle. Like, it started off with Trump TV. He actually got to be president. And now it's going to end with Trump TV with the, posi- the possibility, and it's a, real, a very real possibility, that in 2024, Trump comes back. That, see, there's one thing I will give Trump. He is super energetic. He is in, in, in incredible shape. I, I wouldn't put it past uh, uh, Donald yeah. Trump to come back in 2024. What's up? It's, it's a real possibility. And the other thing that's kind of interesting about all that, too, is how Fox really seems to effectively fall on their sword. I mean, they've got their entire viewership outraged for calling the election for Biden. Right, so, right. I mean, Trump has already got just millions of disgruntled, you know, Fox Waiting. viewers are going to flock to him as yeah. soon as Trump TV launches. Not, not, not only uh, um, viewers, but. I wouldn't be surprised to see Sean Hannity hop over there. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the cream <laughs> of the crop, I mean, Tucker Carlson, I could see a lot of those guys yeah. jumping ship to Trump TV. So, right. I mean, it's really interesting, but I mean, I think Murdoch is just going to be annihilated by this, and it almost seems like it was intentional in some ways. It does, because, uh, you know, they're they're good friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are reports that Trump called him up when they called, I think it was Arizona, 
for for Biden. And the Trump called up Rupert Murdoch and screamed on him for it. And, and then Murdoch screamed on him back. It sounds like a, like theater to me setting up uh, Trump TV, you know, the, the inevitable mm-hmm. battle between Fox and Trump TV, Trump News, whatever the hell they're going to call it. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see, uh, like I said, Sean Hannity. I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Tucker Carlson over there. I really wouldn't be surprised to see Alex Jones. Uh, yeah, that's just a real possibility, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if they just if they realize that CNN and MSNBC are already finished. So, I mean, they're trying to set Fox up as God forbid the new liberal um, alternative or something. <laughs> <laughs> My God. They, yeah, um, we, we, we got issues and problems. If, if uh, that is truly the upside down world, is it not? <laughs> You're not kidding. Bro. <laughs> anyway, man, let, let, let's get into your book. And your All book right. will inevitably, we may circle back into the election because it, it just may be in, the, you know, that might happen with the names that are coming up here. But uh, a special relationship. Uh, give us the entire title and tell us about it. Why, why did you decide to write this book? Well, the entire title is A Special Relationship, Trump, Epstein, and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. And I decided to write it uh, last year after the Epstein scandal started to break. And I started to notice um, so many of the families mentioned in Epstein's Black Book had previously shown up in the Perfumo scandal, which was a British scandal that broke out almost 60 years ago. And, um, you know, I'm never one to really buy too much in a lot of these generational type conspiracies, especially when you get into these bloodlines with satanic cults and that type of thing. But um, it's just very strange when I started looking at these family connections. And um, after a while, I'd explored it a little bit on my blog, but I was like, well, you know what? There's a lot of meat here. I could definitely turn this into a full length work. And um, that had got me to start examining the special relationship between the U.S. and the U.K. in and of itself. And I thought, well, I mean, wouldn't it be great to trust, uh, you know, try to look at this whole thing with these brownstone operations, these sex rings, and look at that through the prism of the Anglo-American special relationship? Uh, it's a fascinating story, and uh, hopefully if you do pick up a copy of the book, you'll agree with me on that one. <laughs> Talk to me about Perfumo real quick. Give the people a little bit of background. I am guaranteeing you most people don't know what that is. Give them a little bit of background as to what that is, and then let's link it over to Epstein and what's going on now. Go ahead. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, well, so Perfumo was a scandal that broke. It It started in 1961. It broke in 1963. It involved a uh, love triangle uh, with John Perfumo, who was a uh, member of uh, Prime Minister Harold Macmillan's cabinet and the Tory government of the time. It involved a woman named Christine Keeler, who was a showgirl, and it involved uh, Yuri Ivanov, who was a Soviet military attache and also a member of the GRU, which was uh, the Soviet Union's principal military intelligence service, and it still is for the Russian Federation. Uh, Effectively, they met at a house party in 1961. It was uh, thrown partly for a certain Lord Montbatten, uh, who was a member of the royal family and who also uh, would show up heavily in the whole Kinkora scandal in the 1970s uh, in the UK. Um, But anyway, uh, Christine Keeler had an affair with both of these men. Uh, That caused major issues because Yuri uh, Ivanov was, in fact, a Soviet spy. So you now have the possibility that you have a senior member of Macmillan's uh, cabinet who's involved in this situation. And ultimately, when this started to leak in 1962 and especially 1963, it brought down Macmillan's government and ultimately brought an end uh, to the long period of Tory rule that had prevailed after the Second World War. But you see, the thing with Perfumo 
the whole story's never really been told because there were all these other geopolitical things that were unfolding at the time that I wanted to incorporate into this and explain how this was relevant. I mean, especially with the situation in Yemen, which was so crucial to the UK and just really uh, a lot of deep history that's come since then. I mean, the UK had been utterly humiliated at Suez. I mean, that was effectively the end of the British Empire officially. So now there was this perception that the UK no longer had the ability to act independently anymore. And there were a couple of uh, very hard right imperialists in the Tory party who were not going to stand for that. And they came up with a way for the United Kingdom to continue to maintain a sense of world power. And a lot of it revolved around creating what we would think of now as the modern private military industry. I mean, essentially, they came up with a scheme where you would use mercenaries and British arms and you would get a foreign government to pay for effectively what were British policies that were being carried out. And this was deployed in Yemen on a massive scale for the first time. And I think that this was a major factor in Perfumo. Effectively, it was an attempt to try to bring in a regime that would be amicable to following through with these plans that had been laid by these Tories. And uh, I mean, it would just be pivotal because if you know anything about the private military industry, I mean, the UK was who really pioneered the modern concept of this through firms like WatchGuard International, through Kini Mini through uh, executive outcomes and then all the way up to the modern era through Aegis and so forth. I mean, it really kind of laid the foundation for outsourcing a lot of these covert policies to private actors. And, um, you know, we've seen kind of the consequences of this in the modern era with things like Cambridge Analytica, certainly. So why is Perfumo relevant now? What 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 about Perfumo? You said a lot of the names, a lot of the same people, a lot, you know, a lot of the same things resurfaced when you were doing your research about Epstein and everything else, and uh, that made you link it, in, link it in with Perfumo, why is it relevant? Well, I mean, it ties in really directly to Epstein's ring. I mean, I think a lot of ways Epstein's ring is uh, part of the lineage of what was uh, initially exposed with Profumo. I mean, one of the big figures, American figures who showed up in Profumo was a private detective called Thomas Corbelly, who uh, moonlighted sometimes as a gangster, sometimes as a spook uh, for the CIA and other intelligence services. Uh, he was a very colorful figure, and he showed up in a lot of... Um, strange sex scandals over the years besides Perfumo. Uh, in the late 1970s, early 80s, he was involved in the whole thing with Monica Heller that uh, officially brought Roy Radin to the attention of the broader public. This was a whole kind of S&M sex party scene that was unfolding in New York State uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. I mean, it was very eyes wide shut, these exclusive mansions and so forth. A lot of kinky stuff was going on. Monica Heller claimed that she had been raped and videotaped at one of these parties. Corbley was one of the guys who had come forward and blown the whistle on this, though he had done it anonymously at the time. And of course, Raiden would later game Infamy in 1983 when he uh, turned up murdered. Uh, he was one of the producers for the Cotton Club, and hence uh, he would be known for the Cotton Club murders that kind of played into all this. So Corby was a player in that, and um, another guy who was involved in Cotton Club too was Corbley's good friend, Robert Evans, the uh, famous producer, or infamous, depending upon your point of view. And then later, Corbley showed up in the Heidi Fleiss ring in Hollywood in the early 90s. Uh, she was the Hollywood madam. Uh, she had a bunch of uh, big celebrities at the time, Charlie Sheen, Jack Nicholson, and uh, Robert Evans once again. Uh, Thomas Corbley was actually the guy who came up and gave her the money for her legal defense and all of that. So you can point to these three distinct uh, sex rings that Corbley was involved with in L.A., in New York City, and in London that involved all of these VIPs. So, I mean, this is kind of an international network. 
And uh, the thing with Corbally, man, he had uh, two political mentors. And uh, the major one was his attorney and a man that he frequently worked for, a guy who went by the name of Roy Cohn. And, uh, of course, that was also Donald Trump's uh, political mentor. And uh, Donald J. Trump himself would later employ Thomas Corbally in that capacity as a private detective. Wow, wow. So, um, damn, Roy Cohn, right? It's a hell of a name. As soon as, as, soon as you say it, you people pop, right? People know, well, at least they should. They should know about the relationship with Roy Cohn and uh, Donald Trump, right? And then there was a whole, damn, I wish I had it in front of me. There was a, somebody put together an entire web of Epstein connections and how it flowed. It, it was beautiful. Um, how does this all, um, how does this all tie into Jeffrey Epstein? Well, I mean, of course, Epstein knew Roy Cohn, but I mean, you know, kind of going back to Corbally, another <clears throat> group of individuals he got to know when he was in the UK was, uh, they were variously known as the Mayfair set or the Claremont set. Uh, they were so named for this gambling establishment that they used to hang out at, uh, known as the Claremont Club. Uh, Adam Curtis actually did a really great documentary about these guys. Uh, I think he came out in 2000 for the BBC. Uh, definitely highly recommended. But um, these guys were into all kinds of shady stuff. Uh, basically, it was a group of right-wing businessmen, former military officers. Of course, David Sterling, uh, who was a big figure in setting up the private military industry and the whole operations in Yemen, was a member of the club. Um, Joe Aspinall was the owner of the club, a guy who for years had promoted eugenics uh, in the name of saving the planet. Uh, he was a major zoo owner that were known for a lot of uh, incidents of the uh, gamekeepers being mauled by animals and so forth. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he even had um, he brought the kid of one of his good buddies from the Claremont Club to the zoo. And uh, he almost had his arm ripped off, I think, by like a tagger or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Aspinall was an interesting figure, to put it mildly. But uh, the really big guy, though, from Claremont Club was uh, Sir James Goldsmith, hmm. Sir Jimmy. <laughs> and Sir Jimmy, uh, he later, he would hire Corbley as a detective for some various projects he was working on. Uh, but Jimmy really hit it in the his stride in the 1980s when he came to the United States and became a major corporate raider. Uh, the guy that he worked with most closely was the financier Michael Milken, who, of course, became known as the junk bond king and uh, that infamous uh, company that he worked for, uh, Drexel Burnham and Lambert. And that brings up a lot of uh, interesting figures, people like Leon Black and so forth. But uh, Epstein knew Milken and uh, so did Donald Trump. And they were all kind of part of this circle in New York City in the uh, early 1980s that uh, Roy Cohn was also a part of. So, I mean, all of these guys kind of came together in that time frame with the kind of specter of these old brownstone operations that Corbally had been involved in uh, back with Perfumo and was still kind of active in in New York State at the time. Uh, it's an interesting nexus that I'm going to explore much more in the next two books. But um, the other reason why I kind of bring up Jimmy is uh, really important, too, is uh, Goldsmith was huge in launching uh, what ultimately became Brexit in the 90s. I mean, he was one of the guys who put up the money for, uh, I believe it was the UK Independence Party or something to the effect at the time. And um, a lot of his former associates to this day are still major backers of Brexit, including his son-in-law, Robin Burley, who uh, incidentally was the guy who almost had his arm taken off as a child uh, at Aspinall Sioux. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's insanity, man. And, and you know what? You, you mentioned all these people and how, how um, you know, they in some way, shape or form were involved with like a Brexit or something. And these are recent phenomenons, but you can trace it back to 
you know, yeah. like you just did, right? What's up? Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, and Jimmy's, uh, I believe it's his um, his daughter is in Epstein's Black Book as well, and so is Robin Burley, his son-in-law, and uh, one of the big Brexit financiers. So that's kind of, you know, what I'm getting at. You know, I mean, you see these family ties, I mean, going all the way back from at least, you know, the 50s, 60s, and I mean, again, a lot of these same guys, their, you know, descendants are showing up in Trump's campaign and Brexit in the 21st century. It's just really fascinating to see the lineage. Do you think that Donald Trump was just pushed into the limelight by these people? Like, I, I don't give Donald Trump enough credit, I think, sometimes, you know, because, uh, you know, his his overall persona doesn't lead to something that, uh, you know, some, I just, I just, I don't think he's, uh, you know, I don't think he's a very smart guy. That's it. Just, just for just laying it out there. I could be very wrong. But yeah, uh, well, go ahead. I mean, I think he's smarter than people give him credit for. But I mean, what Trump represents, though, I mean, it's definitely, in my opinion, been a long term plan. That's what I mean. And that's kind of, you know, and that's really what the first book kind of gets into, where this sort of alliance between far right actors in the U.S. and the U.K. kind of emerged from and how it laid the genesis for what we're kind of seeing unfolding now in the 21st century. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and, uh, you can go back to Cambridge Analytica, but that's only the tip of the iceberg, I feel. Just listening to you talk. Right. And because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, fully immersed in the, in the Cambridge Analytica thing and I'm looking it over. It's all new to me, you know, and I'm sitting I'm like, my God, what a work on the American people. But not only on the American people, on the people of the UK, you know, and oh, on the yeah. people of Brazil, you know, <laughs> and in Africa, you know, it was all over the West Indies. You know, this is nothing new. You know, yeah. it, was, it was new to me. But uh, these players have been around for quite some time. And here in New York, they all got together and and did whatever it is they did um, politically, but also socially. Like these guys, uh, Trump and Epstein used to, you know, go party together and do a bunch of nonsense. Uh, Who knows exactly what type of compromise they were? You know, what what type of compromises behind them? You know, these brownstone operations where they were running it against other people, but... uh, they were probably a part of of them themselves, meaning they were probably brownstone to some degree in order to get them to do what it is they needed to do. Is that a far stretch? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I think that's, you know, really, uh, it's kind of like a game of Russian roulette almost. I mean, with these guys, I mean, they all have uh, information on each other, you know. I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, where is the bullet going to be when the uh, chamber finishes uh, spinning effectively? Uh, but I mean, you know, again, sort of the whole thing with Cambridge Analytica, it's just I think it's the end result of just having these private actors, you know, and I mean, at play. I mean, this is, again, something I kind of get into the book. I mean, just the use of these private intelligence networks and how I mean, it goes so far back to the 1930s and so forth. And it just it creates a disastrous situation for democracies because you have these guys. They're in a semi you know, official capacity. They create these, you know, vast private fiefdoms. Uh, they've got these sex trafficking rings they're involved in arms trafficking they're involved in drug trafficking all of this stuff it's very lucrative i mean if nothing else you know this gives them a lot of assets so even when you try to get these guys out of the intelligence services these these networks that they put together they don't just disappear 
And so what happens, you know, if they decide that they're going to start reorienting governments the way that they want them to, they have the resources to do it and they have the know-how to do it. And, you know, when you see all of these forces come together in a place like Cambridge Analytica, where you've got these ex, uh, you know, American spies, these ex-UK ones, these ex-Russian ones, these ex-Israeli ones, you know, these guys have so many resources and so much knowledge at their disposal. In a lot of ways, uh, you know, there's almost nothing that, I mean, official governments can do to stop them. You know, I mean, that's certainly I think that we're seeing playing out now. Is um, democracy as we know it dead? Is it a wrap? <laughs> I mean, you always hate to say that, but I mean, you know, we're certainly in uncharted territory now. I mean, when you just look at the way that we can manipulate masses now through technology and so forth, I mean, you know, I mean, that's just the most disturbing thing about Cambridge Analytica. I mean, you can diagnose people's personalities. You know that there are certain personality types that are prone to flights of fantasy if they're triggered. You know, you know what can trigger them. And I mean, you see the end results of this kind of stuff with QAnon. I yeah. mean, it's very much a creation of this type of programming. Yeah, and I think it all it all stems from there. Now, with Jeffrey Epstein, everybody knows about him. Everybody, everybody became a conspiracy theorist with Jeffrey Epstein. Even even the news networks, you know, when they would uh, say he didn't, you know, he didn't kill himself that that uh, or that he did kill himself. They, you know, they they would side on the on the. On that side of the fence, I, I remember Ben Shapiro listing out a bunch of evidence and then say, no, it's ridiculous. He killed himself. Come on. Why <laughs> would you think otherwise? You know, so everybody became a conspiracy theorist to the point that um, some of the biggest shows I've ever done has been based on Epstein. People just want to hear it. They want to know about it. And they're fascinated by, by everything. You know, he had an island and he was a pedophile and he did all this other stuff. And so many people are compromised, right? And it leaned heavily on the left because uh, that's part of, of the game here, in my opinion. It's, it's uh, getting us to look at the left, even though they are detestable, but uh, getting them to look at them as, as if they're the only detestable ones. But th this was a part of it. And uh, they wanted to know how many times uh, Bill Clinton was over there, you know, and, and all this other stuff in that relationship. But they really didn't want to look at, at the Trump relationship of things because... Uh, you know, the, the alternative media and uh, a lot of the right is in love with Trump. What'd you find? Yeah, well, I mean, that was one of the big reasons why I wanted to write this book in the first place, because, yes, yeah, so much of the narrative on Epstein has focused on his ties to the Clintons and the Democratic Party machine and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I thought it was important to provide a counterbalance to that and show that the right has been involved in this kind of stuff for many, many years now. So, I mean, certainly that is a big factor at play. But, I mean, yeah, it does kind of play also to this whole demonization process and accusing your enemies of your own uh, vices and corruptions, effectively, which is something that the right is quite masterful at. Right, right, man. I agree. I completely agree. How, how compromised is Donald Trump in all of this, if at all? Oh, I mean, I would certainly imagine he's pretty bloody compromised, man. I mean, <laughs> I don't think it's really a secret that Trump liked them young uh, and has for a very long time now. He, he, he said as much, but uh, a lot of people don't want to subscribe to that uh, to that idea. But yeah. um, uh, I mean, it's it's evident just because of. Uh, see, the thing is, right, there's a lot of people that were in that black book. Tons of people. That doesn't mean all of them were pedophiles. Right. It's, it could yeah. just be people that and and let, let me ask you a question. Could that black book be uh, have been laid out just to just to give us something to look at? 
Well, I mean, quite possibly. I mean, when was the time frame when it first started to make the rounds online? It was like, what, about 2015 or something like that? Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly, but I can look it up. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, yeah, I mean, I think that was really around the time. But, I mean, it just, it, it seems like there's been this ongoing process to sort of set this framework for this, I don't know what you want to call it, like neo-satanic panic or something like that. Right. Uh, I mean, it really, I think, got going, you know, and I don't know if it was necessary. I certainly don't think it was intentional on David McGowan's part. But um, when Program to Kill came out, I mean, what, in about 2005, 2006 or something like that? I mean, it really provided, you know, an actual logical framework that was well thought out and well sourced uh, for how there could have been these sort of elite international pedophile rings. And then gradually, though, McGowan's legitimate research has just been debased so much over the years by people who have tried to well i suppose they would assume that they were building onto it but uh it's kind of debatable but nonetheless i mean it's sort of laid the framework for this just whole program where now i mean uh you know they've almost become like these james bondian villains i mean you know epstein like you're alluding to he's even got his own private island where i mean he and his friends can go and indulge in their vices it's all very you know dr no and so forth and there's already been this sort of groundwork that was laid for years and years and um you know, I mean, more is what we've seen sort of with all the Q stuff. I mean, you've also got to wonder why 2019 was it when they finally decided to move against Epstein. I mean, it really was instrumental in triggering a lot of this stuff like you've been kind of alluding to. And I mean, certainly setting up a movement that is thoroughly cultish, you yeah. know, cementing, cementing mm-hmm. it, you know, and um, it's it's hard for for me to communicate this like I. I all disclosure like full disclosure i'm having a hard time trying to come up with the words to describe what it is that we are currently in you know and and um that's every i mean it's i I say the alt media but it's it's not limited to the alt media it it crosses over to the right in 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 large part what 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 uh what we're facing right now and yeah well i mean especially Come on, because I mean, Alex Jones is basically now the mainstream of the Dude. right. I mean, if we're really being perfectly honest, which is just amazing. I mean, but he really has been set up as the next Rush Limbaugh. I right? mean, whenever Limbaugh finally sheds his moral coil, which will probably be sooner than later. Well, God bless him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but with Alex, you know, it's um, he has repeatedly in the last even I would call Brissom and tell him I don't understand what's I should know I should know better. But I'm seeing, I'm like, why would Alex Jones post this story as the, the front, the first thing on InfoWars, the, the, literally the first thing that comes up? Like Trump has video of, of Hunter Biden pedophilia. He's going to <laughs> drop it now. You know, and I'm like, what? this better drop. Like you're putting it up on the front page of your freaking thing, right? And, and, uh, and this was prior to the election, like three weeks, if... If he would have dropped it, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, Donald Trump would have won this election, but it never came. It never happened. I'm mm-hmm. not saying there isn't pedophilia on that thing. I'm just saying if there is, let's see some proof. Let's see some proof of it. I'm tired of, of sitting around and believing like like the like the the wiener laptop. Yeah, I was about to say it was kind of like the same thing with the wiener right. laptop. You know, what did Eric Prince or something say? Like the charges yeah. were coming at any time. Mm-hmm. That was freaking four years ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're still and, waiting for the uh, the charges. Right, still waiting for the charges. <laughs> w- waiting to see Hillary Clinton dismember a young baby because that's the rumor that that was on there. That the cops that saw it were throwing up because they couldn't deal with it and they had to leave. And everybody saw it. And we got the same players here. We got Steve Bannon. 
We got freaking Rudolph Giuliani. We got Miles Guau. All these people just pushing it to the front. And then I see this on InfoWars. And I'm like, man, okay, so me just being naive as fuck, saying, okay, you know, maybe he just got this one wrong. The next week, Hunter Biden's, I mean, uh, uh, Joe Biden's kid had a, a diary or whatever that all of, all of a sudden just popped out of nowhere and she was alluding to Joe Biden and molesting her as a child. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I'm like, my God. I'm like, Jesus, he put this up. And I'm telling Brissom, I'm like, dude, how is he doing this? Why is he being so reckless? Nothing. Nothing, you know? Right. Nothing. And, and, and did he get any blowback from it? Absolutely not. Nothing. And right now, he's sitting up there talking about all these, uh, oh, this was my favorite. Sting operation. There's I was just about to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, you got to understand, man. I mean, you know, they've actually just been waiting for the 2020 election. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Because they knew that the Democrats had to engage in massive, unprecedented voter fraud to prevail against Trump. Right. So now the sting operation is going to, you know, go into effect. The FBI is going to start rounding up the entire Democratic hierarchy uh, for voter fraud. And while that's unfolding, Trump is finally going to be able to launch the military tribunals. They're going to start taking Tom Hanks and all the other pedophiles. <laughs> to Guantanamo. They're going to start doing the executions after they've tortured them thoroughly for a couple of months, of course. Um, you know, it's it's all unfolding according to the plan, man. But people believe it, Recluse. I know they do. You know, and <laughs> I, I, how, how do we get out of this? I mean, this, that's a tough question to ask, but really, I, I'm walking around in limbo trying to figure this out. And, and clearly, well, I, mean, I think you, you've, you laid it out. Like, uh, Alex Jones could theoretically be the next Rush, Rush Limbaugh right now. Especially yeah. if, he, if he jumps over to Trump TV, which is 90% likely, in my opinion. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, again, I don't even know if we really can, you know, do much about it at this point. Right. I mean, um, one of the topics I'm really fascinated by is the infamous cybernetic cultural research unit uh, from the 1990s that produced Nick Land, the kind of uh, real intellectual guru of uh, the neo-reactionary movement now. But uh, when the cybernetic cultural research unit got going... Their whole thing was they wanted to study the effects that new media, i.e. the Internet, was having on broader society from cybernetic principles. And they came to an interesting conclusion about this. They decided that it was melting down consensus reality. And they came to this conclusion in, I think, like 1996 or something like that. So just imagine the wow. state that we merged to in uh, about 25 years later or something right. to that effect. But yeah, I mean, it really has been. And I mean, I think you look at the, you know, a guy like Nick Land, he's deliberately doing this. Mm. I mean, if you've read any of Nick Land's work, and I mean, you know, you can say a lot about him. He is a reprehensible human being on any number of levels. But he is very smart, mm. way smarter than a guy like Moldberg or somebody like that. The other major figures in the reactionary right. right. So why would he even be backing this garbage? And, you know, I've had some I've talked to some people who have actually had direct contact with the CCRU people and this type of thing. They really think that Nick Land deliberately is sponsoring the neo reactionary movement because it is destroying consensus reality. It's bringing this archaic 19th century ideology into a postmodern world. And it's effectively inducing a kind of massive schizophrenia in the populace. You know, I mean, you're seeing ideology that has almost no basis in the modern world that's now being held up as, you know, I mean, crucial to our future, essentially. I mean, it really is. It's Machiavellian. And I don't know how you come back from this. I really don't. I mean, what they've done to just our whole, you know, the way we view the world. And effectively, I don't know if there's a way you put the genie back in the bottle right, for this. Right. You, well said. The genie's out of the bottle. 
yeah. don't know how you put it back. I said that in, on on some show that I did. It, it, and it sucks. It sucks to come to terms with something like that. Yeah. It, it I mean, really the only does. real, you know, I mean, the only real possibility would be almost a full blown Orwellian future. You know what I'm saying? I mean, an authoritarian regime that right. could once again control the narrative. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants. And that. I mean, or, I don't or do they at this yeah. point. We're I mean, over I here cheering that, Donald Trump. To, I mean, to, I think maybe people are trying to be conditioned for that. But I mean, ultimately, I don't even know if you could go to that, even if they wanted to now. Hmm. I mean, you've just got so many amateurs. I mean, just, you know, people understand how this stuff works now, the memetics. I mean, the cyber warfare and all this stuff. And that's kind of the thing. You don't need a lot of money to do this stuff. You don't. And I mean, now that the amateurs have started to get on the act, I mean, I don't know if there's any way you could go back to this. Right. I mean, even Orwellian future, even if that's what the power of the beat wants. You're absolutely right, man. Listen, in the interest of time, I want to give you an opportunity to just talk a little bit more about the book. Anything that you want the people to know, like anything in particular from the book that uh, you want. What's the mo most important uh, pick two or something of the most important well, I mean, topics that you want people to know? Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, I think for our purposes now, I mean, one of the things you really need to understand is just how much psychological warfare has been used to influence the American public, how far back it goes and just how prevalent uh, the foreign players have been in this, you know, since at least uh, the 1940s. I mean, one of the big figures we kind of look at in this book is uh, Sir William Stevenson, who was the head of uh, British intelligence operations in North America during the Second World War. And Stevenson really was the guy who wrote the book and all the stuff that you're seeing now uh, for election shenanigans. I mean, rig polls, that was Stevenson's ideal. Uh, you know, hiring protesters to picket their opponents and that type of thing. William Stevenson pioneered that. And uh, honeypots to ensnare American politicians. William Stevenson did that. Incredible. I mean, you know, it was just amazing what the British did to this country during the 1940s uh, to get us into the war. And I mean, that's been glossed over because, yes, I mean, it was to fight Nazism. It was for a good cause, but it destroyed our political system in a lot of levels and in a lot of ways we've never really even come back from that. So, I mean, I think that's an important thing that this book gets into and something that I think people really need to understand the history of and how this has been used against us now for decades. And, you know, the other thing is I've been kind of alluding to is just the incredible power that these private actors have. I mean, these, you know, intelligence officers that bump in and out of the private sphere and the way that they've been able to manipulate the, comp uh, the country for just decades now. I mean, it's really phenomenal. And it's, you know, really become an art form in the era of Cambridge Analytica. That's, you know, something that this, you know, what's eventually going to be a trilogy is going to chronicle over the next couple of decades as I uh, unwind it. I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, you do excellent work, man. Uh, unfortunately, um, we all know what we need to look forward to or <laughs> what's going on right now, right? It's not yeah. even looking forward to it. It's going on right now, but we just got to... The, the only effective way to, to divorce yourself, not even your family or anybody else, just you, is that you take responsibility for what it is you put online yes. and you take responsibility for, what it, for who it is you engage with online. You yes. have to do that. That's the best way to step away. Go ahead, Recluse. No, and I mean, it's really frustrating to me because, I mean, some of the guys, you know, I mean, this is, you know, a project, you know, you and I are going to be working on in the coming future. But, I mean, some of the guys, I mean, who really were instrumental with crafting this, this all-out psychological warfare blitz that we've seen, you know, from Cambridge Analytica and these other actors, you know, they've started to come out like in the last year or so and acknowledge what's happening and, you know, possibly some of the things that they did to it, but they're still not willing to take responsibility for it. They're still not willing to own up to just the culture that they helped create and how their ideology was fueling it. 
And they're still trying to divorce that ideology from what has come from it. And it's just, it's asinine on so many levels. And um, one of these days, I'm going to say more about that, I can tell you, because uh, it really pisses me off and a lot of people should be pissed off about it. I agree 100%, man. Thank you for coming on The Fringe and talking to us for a little bit. I really appreciate your time. And, oh, and uh, uh, can I also, oh, can I just say the uh, oh, book is available? The book is available. I was going to give you, I was definitely okay, going to okay. time to say, well, <laughs> come on, come on, go ahead. All right, yeah. Check me out at The Farm Podcast. That is thefarmpodcast.com. And the book is available at our official online store. That is thefarmpodcast.store. That is the farm podcast, all one word, dot store. So, yeah, definitely check me out there. The book is A Special Relationship, Trump, Epstein, and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. And what we're going to do is we're going to put links at the bottom of the show, uh, on the show notes. And uh, you will be able to access uh, Recluse's site, his podcast, his book, every freaking thing Recluse uh, gets into. Absolutely. Hey, thank you for joining us, man. My name is Billy Ray Valentine. This is The Infinite Fringe. Please stay safe. We're going. Oh man, let me ask Recluse real quick before we get out of here, man. COVID <laughs> lockdowns are, are apparently coming. We have yeah. like in uh, uh, the UK, France, I forget who, uh, Ireland. You know they, they're they're in complete lockdowns for a month or maybe more. And, and now here in the states, we have curfews. We got some curfews here in New York. What are you thinking about this whole deal? See, and that's another thing that is just going to ratchet the chaos up to the next level because, I mean, you know, I talk to people about this. I mean, many people I know, liberals, people who are all for the mask stuff, they supported the lockdowns, you know, the first time around. They'll still publicly pay lip service to it. But, I mean, when you talk to them, they're like, I am sick of this crap. I do not want to go through another lockdown. And I think that that is pretty much the mentality of almost everybody now. I think – you're going to start seeing some serious protests over that, much more so than what we saw in 2020, if they do, in fact, try to impose another massive round of lockdowns. I agree. Which does seem like it's in the cards. It, <laughs> yeah, it does, unfortunately, and it's it's not good. It, it's just not a good situation. But I will, and and uh, I want your thoughts on this, and then we'll get out of here, Recluse. I, I will uh, advise people to look outside your bubble. Just because you think the lockdowns are bad and just because you think that, you know, wearing masks are bullshit and everybody else, there's a whole shitload of people outside of this bubble that think completely differently than you do. And that was part of the problem here with the election uh, 2020, when uh, most people were just, uh, you know, Trump is going to win completely disregarding a whole shitload of people outside of our bubble. Go ahead, Recluse, and then we'll get out of here. Well, I mean, it's like I was, you know, kind of saying at the beginning of the chat, man, I mean, I think a big part of the country, the problem that the country is having now is we just can't accept differing opinions. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, that's like I said at the beginning, you know, that's what ultimately really makes the world wonderful. You know, that's how you grow as a person is by listening to opinions that are outside the ones that you hold. And, you know, if we lose sight of that, well, I mean, we're all going to just be locked into our own bubbles. and Our worldviews are just going to become narrower and narrower. I agree 100%. So let's uh, let's be cool with one another. We all like each other. I like Recluse. Recluse likes me. At least I think Recluse likes me. He's told I don't me really, he has. So I, I don't like, really like anybody because I'm an INTP. But I mean, you know, I tolerate you though, man. They, well, you know what? I, I will take that. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. And, um, and uh, you know, part two and three, can't wait. You're doing excellent work. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll get some stuff off the ground in 2020, if not definitely 2021. Uh, we're we're going to be working on some stuff with Recluse and 
and Mr. Brissom and Mr. Neil Sanders. It's going to be fun. It's going to be oh, fun yeah. at the very least. And uh, hopefully you guys will dig it. But until then, I will check you guys next week. This is The Infinite Fringe. And for anybody viewing on Iconic, we appreciate you. Take it easy. Bye-bye.